times. I think those are two of the hugest things that happen. And comparison is a mean bitch. Oh, yeah, it is. Because you, and especially now with social media and everyone posting all of their perfect happy moments. The millennial generation is as follows. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. Adult, adult and sometimes kids are better to talk to than adults anyway. And kids are it can make a dumb conversation. So, hey everybody! Now this may sound the same, and the song at the beginning is the same, but this is the I gotta get this right because I almost messed up the first time that we went through this. This is the Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. Hello. I'm Dr. Tony Dufresne. Yeah, I was here from the Walk of Shame. It's the same old dog and pony show. And Mariah is back. Hi, Mariah. Hello, Tony. So thank you for joining me on the very first flagship uh, Surrounded by Idiots radio podcast. So basically, as what I had explained previously, that the Walk of Shame kind of worked its organically worked its way into this because as we went along for we did it for almost two years. And we had oh, like wow. like 58, yeah. 58 shows or something. And it kind of organically walked into, uh, can you talk about more than just the dating or more than just the relationship stuff? And I, and I am a millennial mentor. Those are the, that's the group that I deal with. I deal with 18 to 34 or 35 or 36 year olds in, in this particular life situation and in, in that transition period. And a lot of the stuff we talked about on Walk of Shame was, really centered towards that and towards kind of figuring your shit out True. in regards to dating and relationship stuff. So it sort of naturally went into this. And uh, so here we are. Plus the fact that Surrounded by Idiots is the name of my upcoming book that I know I've been whoring uh, for the past you know, out. couple that's, shows. That's what we do. But uh, that's that's going to be coming up. So I hope uh, that the change is fun and informative and provides a better avenue to deal with Millennial issues on a broader scale. I think it's going to work. I think it's going to be great. Well, let's let's just go with let's it and see what goes. See what happens, right? Okay. So the first show we talked kind of back and forth quite a bit about really how to kick this off, and I think the best way to kick this off is to deal with like the big elephant in the room. Outside of the fact that we're going to talk finances, student <laughs> loan debt, and all that <laughs> stuff, which is huge. And as a matter of fact, I talked to my daughter Rachel. She's twenty. She'll be twenty five pretty soon. And she said, you've got to talk about yes, the finance stuff. It's a real you know? big problem. It's hu- And it's huge. And we'll talk about that. And I actually have some uh, solutions Oh, for that. Perfect. Yeah, it's not pretty. But not retroactive, I suppose. Yeah, no. Sad- <laughs> Sadly, I wish. Then I, then I could use it too. Uh, right. Although I have, to, I have to say, I can't, I can't empathize. I mean, I, had, I did have loans. And I did go back to grad school when I was in my 30s. And uh, that was not cheap. Grad school is such a fucking rip. It is a rip. Just, just I mean, cost wise, it's just such a rip. But anyway, you know, I, I digress. That that's a whole that's, that's a whole other show. New topic. So we decided to get into the thing that I have found with my clients, and the thing that I have found, I think personally, my own opinion, is the most important subject matter in that's that millennials are facing right now. It's the quarter life crisis. It is all too real. I you know, and I know that some people don't deal with it. You know, it is what it is, right? Because they're perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Like my husband, he didn't have one of those. Yeah, you could. Yeah, her, her smug 
look says it all, doesn't it? Though Chris was just born the, under a rainbow. Your, your look of oh, oh, your look of oh, you didn't go through this. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, right? Is that, that, that was the nice way. That was that, my, that's that's the look. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's the look you gave Chris too when he said, "Well, I didn't go through that." Yeah, exactly. Don't you love those people? I love them <laughs> dearly. So. If if you did or you didn't on some level, gradient level of severity, uh, I think this will be a good show because we're basically going through life transition stuff. And between your 20s, basically, the quarter-life crisis is, it's been, first of all, it's been around for a long time. It's not just a millennial thing. Right. Second thing is, it could hit you anywhere between your 20s and 30s based upon your personal life experience. Right, right. Because it really is a culmination of a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that kind of comes together at the same time. And then it's like you light your dumpster fire. Just light it up. Just light Gas it up. And kerosene Just and- torch that. Just torch it. <laughs> yep. And then in what? Let it burn. Let, Just it, let burn. it burn. So we're going to go through the, uh, I want to talk about the definition of really what it is. And then we both have our own stories about this i went through this and i went through this a long time ago obviously because i wasn't in my Mm mid-20s like yesterday it was a few days ago just a few and you have gone through this too so i want to go through the the, in terms of a definition this is kind of stupid because i think everybody knows this anyway but just just follow me on this the quarter life crisis is a period of life ranging from the 20s to 30s in which a person begins to feel doubtful about their own lives Brought on by the stress of becoming an adult. Okay. Right? All right. So the reason I wanted to bring that up is because going through uh, my grad school in psychology, we go through a lot of different psychologists and, and uh, philosophers and people who are really groundbreakers, you know, Freud and all that stuff. Although I think that guy was a fucking idiot. But <laughs> the, there's uh, there's Adler and there's mm-hmm. there's a ton of people. Well, Eric Erickson was one of my favorites, and he he's, he's he great. did the life stages of development. And the funny thing is, is that and even going through nursing school, oh, I we think studied you, him a you, ton exactly because he deals a lot with child development. Yes, and the stages in child development. There's a part of Erickson's theory that deals with this particular point in time, mm-hmm. and the part that he uh, talks about is the intimacy versus isolation crisis, which is right after. The uh, autonomy stage, Mm -hmm. which is where you become like a young adult or it's adolescence, where you're starting to realize you are your own person and you have your own voice and your own opinions. And then that's when your mom and dad uh, are become evil because they're trying to keep you from being who you are. Right. So once you uh, transcend from that period of time and get into the isolation or the intimacy versus isolation, that's when you confront you being on your own, which comes into that whole existential crisis. And for those of you who don't follow the whole existential thing, because it's kind of a fuzzy thing that people throw out there. And a lot of people don't really know what that means. Existential just means at the essence of an absolute vacuum of meaning or the fact that you're, that, that there's like, all of a sudden you step into this completely black box where there's no walls, there's no meaning, there's no definitions and you're just kind of free falling. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a, open space where you're like uh there's 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 nothing i can hold on to here that's an existential crisis it's like oh fuck what what's going on right where do i turn yeah yeah and i believe that's a technical term for the i I believe it is (laughs) for for existential crisis so he (laughs) so so i i think personally my own opinion is i think it's a legit thing i've seen it so many times i deal with it with clients so often I went through it. You went through it. I think it's a legit deal, mm-hmm. and so it's that's real. so that's why I, I, you know, to in order to validate that, I don't want to 
seem like I'm coming across like I'm saying, use it as a crutch to feel bad about yourself or to victimize yourself. If you victimize yourself, I swear to God, I'll punch you in the fucking face. Yeah, no. Because nobody likes a martyr. Nobody likes a martyr. No, it's it's boring, it's pointless, and nobody cares. So it, it's not about being a martyr about this. It's about understanding when you do go through it, there are actually ways to make it work for you. Right, right. if you use it as a tool. Exactly, yeah. as a grounding tool as to say, tool. okay, I'm out, I'm in a new space, now what can I do? Right. And interestingly enough, I didn't write my book specifically for the quarter-life crisis thing, but as I've gone through it and as I've talked to my clients, it fits in perfectly Mm -hmm. because it's all about life transition stuff. So my book actually deals with understanding how all the forces in life work when you get into the situation where you're like, oh my God, what now? Right. And then using that and using tools in order to build yourself up from that empty space. Right. Stop the free fall. Yeah. And yeah, we'll talk about we'll, and we'll talk about the atomic bomb effect versus the untying your knots one at a time. One is really bad, one's really good. Yes. Yeah. I can guess which is which. Yeah, I figured as much. I didn't <laughs> I didn't really leave a lot of doubt on that, did I? So I want I would like to hear your story about your <laughs> about your mm-hmm. although I've heard it before, but I think it's a good idea to recap that. Your quarter-life crisis. So, and I think I actually went through two of them, thinking about it. So, quarter-life crisis one was graduating from college, deciding to go to law school, lasting one month, hating law school, dropping out, starting from square one with a Spanish degree, thinking, where the hell do I go from here? Loads of school debt, no money, and I ended up at an insurance company in a call center, getting screamed at eight hours a day, every day with a headset on, (laughs) hated my life and lived at home with my parents and uh, went through a very dark period is my sister and I call it because she was living at home with me and uh, would paint my fingernails black, go to poetry readings. Oh, oh, really? One of those, huh? Like slam poetry readings? Oh, yeah. And I was writing Where everything is poetry if you talk like this. Correct. Okay. Just checking. So, um, yeah, so so I kind of did that, um, started to buy food that was organic. I don't know what happened to me. Good I just, Lord, she went organic. I went organic. Okay, that's severe. <laughs> now we're talking severe. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, like, I literally thought I was going to be the next Taylor Swift. I was like, I'm going to just become a musician. I'm just, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Spent a lot of time in my basement. Anyway, um, <laughs> I finally ripped the Band-Aid much, much uh, later down the road, rip the Band-Aid off. Ten months. Doesn't seem like a lot later, but it was when you're mm. in a job at a call center. Yeah, every day is a long one, isn't every it? Every day is a long one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I finally got a job in Boston. And the second I got there, it was like this weight just <sighs> flew right up to the sky. Really? Right why, off those shoulders. Why is that, though? I think, A, I was super excited and passionate about the job I was about to do. I was getting out of my parents' house and living in an apartment in a really fun city. And I was just totally re-energized. Like, I felt like I was just slugging along at home, like dragging myself through the days. No friends, no social life. I just, I was so depressed and dating a loser. Shocker. It's like what I do. So everything was sort of working against me. And when I got there, I literally remember my first day of work coming outside and it was dark and it was cold and it was bright in the city of Boston. And I just looked around and I was like, 
totally blessed. And I mean, you I knew. I was high on life. Right. Yes, I knew. So that was quarter life crisis one. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, it's not really a quarter life crisis anymore because I was sort of on the path. Like I was, I was in nursing school. I had kind of made that career change, gone through all that. Mm-hmm. But it was when everyone around me started getting engaged, married, having babies. Oh, that was that's the relationship. Yes. One. So okay. there was career quarter life crisis, uh-huh. and then relationship. That's a really life. great point to point out, though, is because yeah. that those are two those could be two things that happen at different times. I think those are two of the hugest things that happen, and comparison is a mean bitch. Oh yeah, it is. Because you, and especially now with social media and everyone posting all of their perfect happy moments, all you do is assume everyone around you has it way better and mm-hmm. you are living in squalor. Like everything <laughs> sucks. That's what happens to me. I look, I agonize. I'm like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting? And that is and that is why as this whole concept has been around for a long time, I've gone through it. I'll tell you briefly how that all went down. Uh, but I think that nowadays with social media, Ugh. with the way that everything is set up, with the fact that we went through this massive recession, yes, it was a Gen Xer and a baby boomer issue. We are sorry. Understanding that you guys started out with your hands tied behind your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, it, in, so even going through the normal course of things, going through your adolescence, going through you know, you developing relationships, going through trying to find a career, going through school, going through having to try to uh, pay for school. It, it's been more difficult for your generation. Yes. I mean, I have nothing to compare it to, but I would say it's been difficult. for. Sure. I will tell you from a Gen Xers position and knowing how the baby boomers were and they had a lot of GI Bill stuff back then. And, mm-hmm. and I tell you, I, I was, I was trying to think back in terms of what I paid for my undergrad back in the late eighties. And my undergrad, I think was like a thousand dollars a semester. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So it, it's all, yeah. it, all I know is college tuition has gone up 1,070% since the late seventies. Yeah. It's, it's literally, uh, the cost of a house, a yeah. nice house. Yeah. Yeah. And then your your loans yeah. every month are a mortgage payment. Yeah. So I'm so you know so it's just, I'm not trying to be a millennial apologist, but I'm saying no, but- you guys do you guys have had it rougher in terms of those things. So in regards to my personal my personal 25 year my Gen Xer version of my um, quarter life crisis mm-hmm. is that uh, I went through and I lasted in an engineering program for three weeks. <sighs> <laughs> All right. Tony and I really both so, killed it. Yeah, yeah. So I went through the whole thing. Of course, I did all of it for my parents and for my, my grandfather of because course. I was doing what they were telling me to do because right. I was a total puss. And so it was about a math. And I could do math. You know, yeah. it wasn't that, you know, made to sense. me, that was, yeah, it kind of made sense. So I got out and I got into, I went to Cal State Fullerton. I, got, I could have gone to UCLA uh, on like a pre-engineering thing and they wanted to send me to UC Santa uh, um San Bernardino. I'm like, I'm not going to the 909. Forget it. So, <laughs> so I went to Cal State Fullerton uh, for engineering and got in and lasted three weeks in there. Literally, I'm like, this is not so total breakdown mm-hmm. on that. Uh, that was not my quarter life crisis though. That was just kind of the college thing. Got out finally with a finance degree because my parents were all mm-hmm. about you got to get a good job. You got to get a good job. Right. And that's back in the day when you stay at a company for thirty years and you get a gold watch and they say Viacom Dios. Yeah. And exactly. then you, and then you live on pension or whatever the case. 
So I got I got out in a finance degree and then I got into a real estate job and never liked it at all. It wasn't kind of my gig. And that was about around 20, it was 25 is when it really hit because 25, I actually, my friend, and I have all the, actually, this is the story in the book. My friend came to me and said, do you want to be a broker? And I'm thinking, yeah, big money. Because it was all money for right, me at the time. Course. It was, And it was all about money and status and driving BMWs. And I actually bought a BMW and it was the biggest piece of shit I ever owned in my life. So <laughs> I, I digress. So I went, uh, so he said, well, you can start, uh, he was working at Merrill Lynch. And he said, you can be a broker here, commercial broker too. It's like big money stuff. But you have to go to this business seminar first. And I said, fine, I'll go to the business. Hey, so I rolled in and, uh, of course, I was a little bit late and I couldn't find my usual seat, which is in the back on the row. Uh, so I could okay. like Escape. bail right. anytime that I want to. Right. So I had to go in between. I was like this meat sandwich in between two sweaty strangers. And uh, and they started they started out and it was like starting to rip you a new one in regards to... You know, it was all, it was a personal development seminar. It's like, and if you ever gone through, ever heard of Est or LifeSpring, uh, any of those things, this was called Psy, actually PSI. And it's still around. And uh, it was uh, life changing. I mean, literally life changing. To where it finally, it finally got me to wake up and to understand what I, what my whole point and purpose was. Wow. Amazing. I mean, yeah, I, I so, but it freaked the fuck out of my parents and my family because all of a sudden I was like bouncing around. Right. And I was like, I know what I want to do. I know what it, so I quit the job. Oh. I had, and this, and at this time I had a condo in Huntington Beach. I thought I was Mr. Big Shot, right? Because oh, I was course. making money because I started my own business out of, out of college. So I was making money. Um, had, had the Beamer, had the, had the motorcycle, had the jet ski, had the condo, all that stuff. Lost it all. Oh. I mean, within like months, because I tried to put the condo up and I paid too much for it. And then the oh. market was terrible Jesus. and all that stuff. Ended up $70,000 in debt. Moved yep. back, moved in with my grandparents. Oh, not even your parents. Not like even my, no, I, could, I couldn't go back to my parents. No way. Because that, that's a whole other show. So went into with my grandparents and I was 25. All yep, this was my 25. Is, is literally the quarter life. Right in the middle yes. when I hit that. And that's and that's when I couldn't take it anymore. Yep. I, I got to the point where I was where I was in that job, just like just like we had indicated previously in terms of the definition stuff. I was in the job, totally miserable, totally depressed. I knew it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I knew this wasn't who I was and it wasn't my strengths. And it's not I didn't want to get up every single day of my relatively short life. Everybody, I mean, you know, we're not on this planet forever. No. Of course, you think you are when you're 20s, right. but, but, but you're still, not. Yeah. but still, you, you start to think about that as you get older. Yeah. And you're like, I, you know what? There's, we're not here forever. Right. You know, so am I, do I want to get up? Do I want to go to this thing or do this thing every day? And, and it being so unfulfilling, every aspect of that job, that's the whole point. Every single aspect of that job was not in my roundhouse at all. Mm-mm. Not at all. Obviously, cause you know what I'm doing now oh, yeah. versus what that job was. So, uh, that's, that was my issue and that's what I had. So, but the problem is I atomic bombed everything. Yeah. I dropped the A-bomb and blew everything up and that was a complete free fall Mm. and totally irresponsible too. Completely to the point where, you know, I was owing people money, had to, had to borrow 10 grand from my grandparents. Oh God. Just to get out of my condo, sold all my stuff. I mean, it was there were dead bodies in, in the wake, you know? So, right. And that's what I talk about in the book is instead of doing that, there's a better way to right. do it. You can get out. You can without. get out and you can, and it's about untying your knots one at a time. Mm-hmm. 
and understanding that the rope has lots of knots. Right. You can't throw the rope away. You got to untie them one at a time. Right. And that's Be smart. Exactly. Yes. So that's, you know, that's my story. So I want to talk about the fact that uh, this whole thing is not new, obviously, because I went through it and I, I found something really interesting. So I was uh, going through some uh, definitions and some articles about this quarter life crisis thing. And uh, they were talking about, well, it's it was explored long ago. So I'm going to name off some movies that actually, and I looked through the movie list and I'm like, yeah, they actually do. They deal with this exact situation. Right. The Graduate. Yep. Right. Who, who doesn't know the Graduate? I mean, I, I bet you 20 year olds know The Graduate. Everyone knows The right? Graduate. If you don't, let me know. Then I'll, I'll fill you in. It's a great movie. Bright Lights, Big City, uh, St. Elmo's Fire, Garden State. Uh, so good. Who doesn't like Garden State? Love Garden State. God, I love that movie. Love it. Seriously, if you haven't seen Garden State, see it immediately. Oh, it right? Was, that's so good. Yes. Plus, uh, I, I can't. That's like one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Oh, it's a great soundtrack of all time. It totally makes me think of college. Yeah, like it just. I. It was it, great. Love Garden State. Uh, accepted. Ghost. High Fidelity. Yep. Yep. If you're a Cusack fan and a Jack Black fan, love. High Fidelity. Yes. Five Hundred Days of Summer. Yes. Great Lost, movie. Lost in translation. Yep. Silver Linings Playbook. Love. Right. Love. But if you if you think about it, that's really what they're doing. Now they may not have been early 20s, but, but they're still dealing with the same thing. Yes. It's that existential crisis of, of getting out of some structure, some small ball that you've been operating in, and now all of a sudden you found yourself out of that, and you're like, whoa, shit. Right. Nothing to grab onto. You're like, now I have to make meaning of all this, and I don't know where to go. Right. Where to begin. And that's and that's all these talk about that. Um, Avenue Q. <laughs> <laughs> Great music, great music. Avenue Q, and the funny story about Avenue Q is uh, my daughter, we were at New- in New York City, and I was with my wife at the time, and then my mom was there, and my mom and my daughter uh, wanted to go out and get tickets to see a Broadway show, and so they went to that booth, you know, the tickets booth mm-hmm. out there, and got a, that the day of show, they got they got front row seats to Avenue Q, and if, you have, <laughs> if you've seen Avenue Q, it is flat out filthy. Oh, I just love the puppets. Puppets are talking about dicks and really having things. sex and like you things know you don't want to think about with oh, grandma. Oh, it's and, no. and and completely racist. Oh yeah. And my daughter is sitting there with her grandmother, wanting to die in in the front row in the, <laughs> in the front row. So you can't even so, avoid. So she said it was it was it was twenty minutes of the most mortification she's ever dealt with, and then after that she said, "Nah, fuck it." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna, I might as well have fun because my, you know, my mom finally loosened up and she's laughing. Why not? Right. Just embrace it. Yeah. You might, you got to lean in. The, lean in. Right. Right. Exactly. You got to lean into it. <laughs> the other movies they were talking about were Reality Bites and uh, Fight Club, which I thought, well, maybe. Yeah. That's, you know, he's, that's a crisis for sure. <laughs> although that guy's, he's got some psychological issues. For but sure. still Stranger Than Fiction. That's a good one. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So good. That is a brilliant movie. That is a great And that movie. actually makes perfect sense because that's exactly what he was going through. Yes. It was an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I wanted to bring those up because I thought it was interesting. And then um, as we finish up here, I wanted to bring up a study that I found about all this, which is interesting because, like I said, I wrote the book and it was based on my client stuff and what I felt was necessary for people to move forward through stuff. And come to find out, it, it really 
it really parallels this point in time. And this study, it's called Emerging Adulthood, Early Adulthood, and Quarter-Life Crisis. And it's called actually called Updating Erickson for the 21st Century. It's by a guy named Dr. Oliver Robinson from the University of Greenwich. And he talks about life being, this part of your life, being broken down into five main phases. Okay. Now, some I agree with, some I don't. So I'm going to throw it out to you and see what you think. Okay. The first phase is you feel trapped by your life choices, like your job and your relationship or both, and you're living on autopilot. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> well, well, how can that. you not agree with that, right? Oh. Phase two, you get a sense of, I've got to get out of this. Yes. Hence, you know, let's harken back to the atomic bomb, right? Right. And feel a growing sense that change is possible if you take a leap. Yes. If you can get your head there mentally. So that was phase two. Phase three is, and here it is, phase three, you quit your job and your relationship. You break the commitments that you make you feel trapped. Then you detach and enter a time out. He calls it a time out period. That, that, that's really churching it up, isn't it? That's really putting lipstick on the pig. That's putting lipstick on the pig. A time out period? That, that's, like a, that's like a curl yourself in a ball and spin an ashtray in the dark period. <laughs> that's what that is. Where you try to rediscover who you are and who you want to be. So nothing big. No nothing big deal. Big. No big deal. You're just trying to rediscover who the hell you are and what you want to be. Uh, that's his phase three. I just think he kind of slightly sugarcoated that one. Yeah, that's, there's no like cute time out where we sit and ponder life. We're like losing our shit at that point. I got to tell you, that was the most brutal. It's one of the most brutal periods of my life. Yeah. 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 Flat out. Uh, and then phase four, he said, you begin rebuilding your life slowly, but surely. Well, you know, hmm. let's hope. <laughs> Or you continue to spiral downward. Yeah, which which <laughs> which, which, which a lot of people do without yes. the help, and then yes. that's and again, I don't want to plug it, but that's the reason why I I read I wrote my book, yeah. and that's what my book is about. So, and then phase five is you develop new commitments that are more in line with your interests and aspirations. We hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the whole point. That's the whole point of anything. If you, I think a good analogy is. I always use this analogy with my with my clients too. You you I used to play Legos a lot as a kid. Yep. And the great part about Legos is, and that was back when they were just blocks. They weren't like the thousand piece Star Wars. Yeah, they didn't have faces on them. There were no hands with hooks or anything. There were blocks. There were blocks. Right to make to make shit. Right. Blocks. So I was and I had a huge box, twelve hundred pieces or whatever, and I would make, I would just start building. And you start building, building, you build this thing, you know, really big and stuff. And you look at it and you're like, all right, that's kind of cool. But then uh, you're like, it's really not where I wanted to go. So in order in order to start over, you got to destroy that piece. Right. You got to take all those pieces apart. Yep. And take it down, back down to the foundation mm-hmm. in order to start over and build a better foundation and build now. But the thing is, and the, and the one important thing I talk to my clients all the time about is, and the thing I, I let people off the hook all the time on is, you know, you're in your twenties, mm-hmm. you're in your early thirties, maybe you just, you don't know until you know, right. you can't, I, and, and my whole analogy is, uh, I say, uh, I'm walking, let's say I'm walking with you down the street. And I and I point to a house over on the other side of the street, and I say, Mariah, what's the color of their couch? And you're like, How the fuck should I know what the color of the couch is? So the point is, is that you you won't know the color of their couch until you cross the street, knock on the door, go inside, go in the living room, 
but the whole thing is is that people think that they should know the color of the couch when they're 22 or 23 years old. Yeah, right, and, and you can't. You can't. You can't until you take steps out, you find yourself in a position, and then you find yourself uncomfortable. And when you do, it's okay to regroup or okay to take a little bit, take it down to the foundation again. Right. And not, but don't drop the bomb on the foundation. No. Because keep then. the foundation there. Yeah. Just keep it there. So that's about untying the knots, you know, slowly one right. at a time. And when he talks about uh, quit the job, end the relationship, break the commitments that make you feel trapped, all that stuff, you got to. And the one thing that I deal with people all the time with is we go through a schedule in terms of you come in and you say, these things aren't working for me. Which I hope you do because you have to know some things won't. Yes, you have to always make adjustments as you go through life. Yes. I'm in. I'm. I'm in my early fifties, and I'm still making adjustments in my life. Right. It always happens. So when you come in and you make your adjustments in your life, you uh, you say, okay, don't do all of them at the same time. One at a time. So if you have a relationship issue, modify the relationship issue. Don't quit your job in your relationship and find yourself living in a paper bag behind the Circle K. Right. Don't do it. Don't do it. You Don't. will lose your crap. It just, but it and, it, and it doesn't provide you a solid foundation to work from. Right. Because you're just dealing with... Right. Rubble everywhere you turn. Right. I get that you don't like your job. I was in that position. I get that you're in a you're in a toxic relationship. I get that. Now, if you're getting beat up or something, get out. Right. That's a totally different gig. Let's say we're not talking about that stuff. I'm just talking about a relationship that's not fulfilling. Right. Or you guys, have, you you really have figured out, and you know, and you can't fool yourself into knowing, into understanding that it's not working for you. Right. In moving forward, so instead of blowing that up. You know, flipping off your boss, and then and and making just devastation all over the place. Pick one, work on that, and modify that, and get yourself grounded in that, and then move to the next one. Right. Which is really, which I think, if I'm to look back in terms of the lesson that I learned, the one of the biggest lessons I learned in my whole life was the fact that I did too much at once. Mm-hmm. You have to take one step at a time. Yeah. And that's and that's the key in the quarter life crisis. Amen. Preach it, brother. There you go. So that that kind of brings it up. I mean, I I guess the last thing I want to say is it's totally cool. In fact, it's a good thing that you're going through a point where you're starting to question your decisions and where you're at in your life. Because yeah. it shows a level of awareness and a level of perspective that a lot of people don't get into. Don't ever feel like you have to love 100% of every moment of every aspect of your life for it to be good. What a great point. Right? That's such a, oh God, that's such a great, that's an entire show in that's that one statement. Show. It's such a great point. People, you guys have way too high of an expectation on life being 100% happy or 100% fulfilling every moment of the day. It's not supposed to. No. It's not. Life is about ups, downs, lefts, rights. Yes. It's called um, 
It's called the law, the, you know, the law of opposing forces. Yes. It's uh, in, and it's the natural law of things. When you have a right, you'll have a wrong. If you have a yes. left, you'll have a right. That's the way that it is. The coin has two sides. And the thing is, is that you need you need the challenges in your life. Mm-hmm. You need the things that the boundaries that come up in front of you, the hurdles that come up in front of you. You need the crises that come up in front of you. It's not about not having those. It's about learning how to deal with them and how to handle them quickly and efficiently. Right. And to have them work for you. And a lot of times, the crises and the little things that come up, the little dumpster fires that come up in your life, are there to redirect you, to kind of nudge you in your direction a little bit more. Right. So use them as guides and understand when they do come up, it gives you an opportunity to learn how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Huge. And you learn a lot more about yourself. Yes. Unless, again, you curl up in a ball and you flick, back and forth. flick the lights on uh, <laughs> on and off and you, you know. Which we've all probably done We all, we, in, some, in some form or fashion, I'm sure we have, so... Yeah. So good. Well, thanks for this the, the first show. I'm so glad I got to be part of it. So I, I am delight. too. I am too. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. And okay. uh, yeah, I know you're off to Boston pretty soon. So I'm going to try yep. to get in as many shows as I possibly can until we have to start doing the Skype thing. That's right. All right. So <laughs> so uh, again, I I changed the. There might be a little bit more of a confusion in regards to Walk of Shame, surrounded by idiots, on ter- on terms of the website and stuff. But it's being in, it's going in transition now. But you can find it on, I change it on the uh, SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher and all that kind of stuff. Plus, it's always up on the website. And I'll have it on Facebook, uh, too. Have it on Facebook too. So, uh, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.